Maintaining your lawn the right way this fall starts with Lowe's because Lowe's has the grass seed and fertilizer perfect for your growing area and the know-how to help you do it right and a great savings like up to $15 off select Scott's grass seed and save $5 on a 12 and a half pound bag of Scott's Turf Builder Winter Guard Fall Lawn Food now $14.97 for all your fall projects do it right for less start with Lowe's valid through 10-2 selection and availability vary by location U.S. only inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. Welcome one, welcome all. It is another installment of the J.C. and Morgan podcast. He is J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports. You know him, you love him. You follow him on Twitter at J.C. Sherbert, amongst uh, other places. I am Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network at Morgan On Air. If you would like to follow if you would like to chime in on anything that we discuss, I always get uh, a couple tweets after we record one of these about uh, anything that we said, whether agree or disagree. I always appreciate the input since this is not your typical sports talk show, which both of us are kind of used to, where you take calls and get input that way. Uh, much of the feedback we get is vis-a-vis social media and Twitter specifically. JC, as we sit here on the last day of July as we record this, I couldn't help but notice on one of the podcast apps that not only does it say JC and Morgan on your typical search engine, but it tells you the number of the podcast. This is our 73rd podcast. Mm. We started this thing a couple of years ago, and honestly, it was... At that point, it was kind of in the experimental phases, and uh, it's it's two guys that uh, obviously are used to talking college football on various platforms, but not necessarily at the time we started uh, podcast savants. But you have since expanded your podcast portfolio. Mm-hmm. You have become a savant. This is the only one that I do, and I'm happy to do this and only this one. And I got to say, it's it's been really enjoyable and can't say enough about the uh, thousands that tune into this and continue to grow on a, a weekly basis and really appreciate that. But 73, that number just kind of snuck up on me. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, we'll probably hit 100 at some point this calendar year is my my guess i would think um Get maybe champagne ready yeah um but we'll at least hit 75 i know that for sure but yeah this is <laughs> this is one of my very favorite things of all the things i do in all of media this is one of my favorite things to do it's always a great conversation um you know i i love talking about the national scope of college football getting into the recruiting angle you know getting into some of the big picture stuff that we do uh really just kind of keeps the fire burning in that area because uh you know my other podcast one's kind of associated with just one team the Gamecocks South Carolina and then the other one's a politics or sports show uh so that's kind of like my hobby show but this is kind of my bread and butter and I, I really enjoyed doing this and it's uh and yeah our numbers have continued to grow I mean we you know it used to be we'd get probably you know 12 to 1500 an episode now that number's in the three to four thousand sometimes five thousand um and as the season gets here i'm sure we'll grow even more so i'm uh i'm excited about the past present and future of the jc and morgan podcast 
Yeah, if we could just have a few more of those Tennessee coaching searches, we'd get back up near 10,000. Because <laughs> <laughs> if we could just have a premier program completely botch a coaching search, that's always great for podcast numbers. But uh, until then, we'll have to find other ways to get the the highest of, of numbers. Um, the other thing we do is, you know, we, we always, we, we go into this thing. We don't have a time limit. That's one thing, you know, for, for all the years of doing radio that I did was with a three hour show and you got a clock format and you got hard breaks and you got to be in and out a certain amount of time. We just kind of get this thing going. We let her rip and then we go. I, I was just kind of searching some other college football podcasts the other day. And a lot of them are like 24 minutes. They're kind of like quick hitters. So when, when we tell you we've done 73, I, I think just about every one of those have been over an hour and some have been closer to an hour and a half. So we, uh, once we get rolling, it's kind of hard to do even in the off season, there's not a ton going on, but we, we talked a lot about sec media days last time. And we're going to get into the, the other four media days, um, this time around. I, I really think and I'm not trying to oversimplify things, but between the Big 12, the ACC, the Big 10, and the Pac-12, the biggest story out of all of this, to me, was whether or not the Pac-12 is going to kick off games at 9 in the morning, West Coast time. Because when you think about it, what do you talk about at Big 12 media days? Oklahoma, 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 can Texas finally surpass Oklahoma? Right. And then there's the eight other schools, uh, the ACC. It is the lone wolf syndrome. It's Clemson. You know, they are Huey Lewis and the rest of that league is the news. Uh, there's just not much drama there. I, I, I'd, I'd love to like manufacture something and tell you that there's a school or a team. that's going to be a big factor in that league. There's simply not. No. And, and then, you know, the big 10, like the big Ten's going through a good period overall, but it has been a league that has been thoroughly dominated by Ohio state. And then the question becomes, you know, Jim Harbaugh becomes a focal point and can they finally break through and beat Ohio state? So to me, I, I, as usual, I don't learn anything from media days, nothing I didn't already know. And the, the, the talking points quite honestly are pretty stale, but I am fascinated by the PAC 12, which has been the least successful of the power five conferences in this playoff era. And the latest, I don't want to call it a stunt, but grasp for attention and grasp for a bigger piece of the TV pie, if you will, to go to a 9 a.m. kickoff. So that, that is something that I thought was the most fascinating of, of the storylines that came through the other four leagues. Yeah, I, you know, mixed feelings about that. But I, I'll say this, you know, the the West Coast is – you know, a little bit different. I, I do. I do. I, I continue to maintain that all of those programs out there have potential. If you look through the history, there's, uh, you know, you, you go program to program. Even I think Oregon State would probably be the least successful over time. Uh, and even they had an 11-1 season under Dennis Erickson and, and beat the snot out of Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl that year. Um, Arizona's had good teams. You know, Colorado's won a national championship. Utah's had an undefeated year. UCLA, I mean, they, they've all been good at one point or another. Washington, Washington State, you know. I mean, and that's what I love about the Pac-12, and people underrate the the value of West Coast football talent. I mean, pockets of California are huge football areas. Um, if the state government out there uh, – maybe backs away from regulating it like they're talking about doing on the youth level. Um, you know, they'll continue to be successful, but, uh, 9 a.m. kickoffs. I started thinking about it. We're in a changing world now, Mike. Uh, 
I think 10 years ago, I would have been like, no, 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 no. Hmm. But now I started thinking about it. And, and, and the word that, come, that came to my mind when, when we first mentioned it and I first heard about it was brunch. <laughs> now, Mike, you and I both know, I mean, you know, both of us have significant others, sort of, and uh, we, uh, you know, we're not married. You know, we've been on the right. dating scene the last you know, four or five years off and on or whatever. Which is a whole other podcast. Yeah, it's we'll a whole start. other podcast. We'll launch that next We're month. We're going to launch that next month. <laughs> um, but but we know, knowing some, you know, single women over time, that there is a big push for brunch these days, okay? I mean, girls love brunch. There's just Thank no you. question about it. And quite frankly, even though I may have to give up my man card to say it, Uh-oh. I kind of like brunch too. You know, and, 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 and so if you look at it in terms of, well, people are getting up and going to brunch on Saturdays and Sundays. Um, and, and so they're enjoying morning activities that involve alcohol and, and some entertainment sometimes and things like that. You know, why, why couldn't you get up and, 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 and go to a football game? Now, now, nine is a little early for brunch, but you can still make a <laughs> reservation. And they still have the brunch menu at most places, especially on weekends. So... I, you know, I started thinking about it. It's like in our society these days, a big social activity for folks to go do is brunch. And so why not, you know, if, you, if you're going to still be able to draw a crowd, you know, i.e. You know, people that would go to brunch would come to your game uh, and you can get more TV exposure, why not? What, what I think on the flip side of that, though, is it waves the white flag in terms of, hey, you know what, we're the Pac-12, we're fighting for relevance and you know, we're going to make our fans get up at the crack of dawn to go to a game just so we can broadcast back east. Um, you know, to me, that's kind of a surrendering tactic. Um, I think maybe a better deal would be to, instead of nine, maybe move it up to ten. Then you get, like, a true brunch time. <laughs> you know, you'd be on uh, right when game day came on, I guess, or something like that. And um, maybe you get a little bit of a, a bit of a push there. But, um in all seriousness, I think that you know it speaks to a larger deal in terms of the changing dynamics of of college football and and how it's presented both in person and uh, over TV. And uh, you know, like I said, ten years ago I'd have been like no, but now you know, having experienced uh, brunch, you know, for the past four or five years and and the magic of that at times, uh, you know, my feeling is. Why not just throw a football game on? And, and, and I'll say this too: NFL games kick off on the West Coast at nine a.m. You know, the, the ones back east, you know, or nine or ten a.m. Ten a.m. Yeah, because yeah, they're three hours behind. You go to Las Vegas, you know, ten in the morning on NFL Sundays. The sports books are packed, you know, with people out there uh, enjoying it, and you know that that's kind of the routine of the West Coast football fan is to get up in the morning and watch NFL on Sunday. So. I guess they sort of figure, why not with college? Number one, I love brunch, although I like mine around 1130, so I can still catch up on some sleep, and then I can kind of com- I can be resourceful about it. I can combine breakfast and lunch and one meal and not feel guilty about having some Bloody Marys, uh, maybe a screwdriver, mm-hmm. uh, mimosa. If I start drinking vodka at 9 a.m., that could be trouble for everybody in the area. Oh, Lord. So I have to I have to weigh all these things in, obviously. And I'm sure Commissioner Larry Scott of the Pac-12 was considering my drinking habits when he when he thought of this. I, I think 
you mentioned game day. To me, this is a 100% TV move, and it does circle around game day. Keep in mind, Fox is making another attempt at a college football pregame show that people will actually watch. They haven't had any success in that over the years. They have tried a number of things, fancy studios, big name former players, and everything in between. Uh, And for a network that has great success with their NFL pregame show, uh, they have never been able to touch college football game day. And I'm not trying to sound like a shill when I say this, because I give credit where credit is due with any network. I'm just a fan of good TV. Uh, But there is nobody that even touches college game day. Uh, even when they went from Chris Fowler to Reese Davis, the show didn't skip a beat. Uh, Davis, Herb Street, Corso, the correspondents they have, David Pollack, from 9 to noon Eastern time, that's where every college football fan is. And sometimes competition is a good thing, and sometimes you just can't make a dent and something that has been established for that long in that particular time slot. But Fox is trying to do it. And even if you're not watching the Fox pregame show and you're watching college football game day, what does college football game day lead up to? Well, it goes right to noon Eastern time, 9 a.m. West Coast time, and right away you're watching a game. Now, typically, as we all know, the best games are not at that time. Uh, they're typically in closer to prime time at night or in the case of the CBS game of the week, three 30 Eastern time. But if you can go ahead and get people to watch your conference coming off of the college football game day show, that is, th- those are eyeballs you haven't had on your league in years because the PAC 12 has been a non-factor in the noon Eastern kick times. And so they want to at least occupy some space in that area code. I, from that standpoint, I think it's a smart, shrewd move. I think it's a smart, shrewd move. Is it going to increase attendance? Heck no. Uh, is it going to be better for tailgating in the PAC 12? Heck no. But we're in a TV world and the PAC 12 through no fault of its own. You can blame Larry Scott for a lot of things, but he didn't invent the time zone concept. The, the fact is they are they are in a spot where their prime time is when many people on the East Coast are tuning out. And so you can't really fix that problem. You can't convince people on the East Coast to stay awake when they don't want to or to stop their social night plans on a Saturday night. But what you can do is try to join the party at high noon. And so I get it. I don't know if it's going to be a great success. I don't know what it does for Pac-12 recruiting or anything else. But based on the track record of moves the Pac-12 has made, few of which have been successful, this is one at least I understand and has a chance to move the ball in the right direction to become more relevant to people in the Eastern time zone and the Central time zone. Look, I've called Big Ten games at 11 a.m. It's not my first choice. But the games are still the games. Like, players are going to be ready, whether it's 11 a.m. You talk about players that have to wake up at 6 a.m. for some football practices. You're talking about players that have to wake up for 5.30 a.m. for classes or tutoring. No, it's not like they don't have an alarm clock. They're operating on a different level than your average college kid. So I don't think the quality of play is going to suffer. Uh, it's just going to be unusual. 
But I, I think from a TV standpoint, and TV still rules the roost in college football, I think it's a smart move. Yeah, Mike Leach isn't a fan. Um, <laughs> but, That's surprising. You know, Kyle Whittingham for, uh, I mean, you know, Leach said that, that the players would have to get up at 4.30 a.m. Um, for a 9 a.m. kickoff. Uh, Kyle Whittingham of Utah, though, is, is uh, for the idea. Of course, they're in the mountain time zone, so it would be 10 a.m. Uh, and I'll tell you this, you know, a couple of years ago, God, who was it that went to Maryland? Cal? Or I think California? Yeah. Went to Maryland, and it was a 9 a.m. kickoff at Maryland. Or it was a, oh, sorry, it was a noon kickoff at Maryland in, in the D.C. area in, in, the East, in the East Coast time zone. And then, so it would have been 9 a.m. packed, or, you know, uh, West Coast time. And so, um, you know, I mean, it, when they go east, as more and more teams are starting to kind of do, as we, you know, we'll get to a scheduling discussion here in a second, um, you know, you, you do have to adjust. And, and, and I think as long as they're not, like, stacking the schedule, I mean, you don't want, um, you know, like, all these games kind of, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know that you want uh, all your games kicking off at that point, but but a few here and there would would do it. You know, I think. Yeah, I think every school would you know would do it once or twice. Uh, it's certainly not going to be a regular where you see Southern Cal playing nine a.m. six times in a given season. Yeah, uh, it, it's just you just need one Pac-12 game on, one Pac-12 team on uh, in that window where people that are are flipping the channels at high noon and maybe they don't want to see Northwestern versus Rutgers mm-hmm. and they say, you know what? I'd, I'd rather see Oregon, Arizona today. Something yeah. different. Yeah. You know? Something like that. I, so, I'm so, with you there. so from that standpoint, uh, I, I get it. it you know, it, it's, it's not going to be universally liked by the people involved. Look, most people, if coaches had their way, I don't think there'd ever be an eight o'clock at night kickoff. It's great for prime time. It's great for exposure, but you have to keep your kids focused all day. That's one of the things when I talk to coaches, doesn't matter what the sport is when it's a night game and you're the road team, for example, and you're sitting around the hotel, the biggest challenge of the coaches at that point, you've already got your playbook in, you've already got everything ready to go strategy wise. It's just to keep the kids focused, loose. What time do we feed them? What time do we wake them up? What time do we uh, get their bodies kind of going? You got to play that game for the entire day. I I think if coaches had their way, every game would start anywhere between one and three o'clock in the afternoon, but that's not realistic because that's not what TV wants and, and TV still rules the roost. By the way, uh, we cover all the bases here. I, ha- I got myself curious, JC. Uh, time zones were created when the operators of the new railroad lines needed a few a new time plan that would offer a uniform train schedule for departures and arrivals. So four standard time zones for the continental United States were introduced on November eighteenth, eighteen eighty three. So there we go. We got over a hundred years of of time zone experience. That's not going away anytime soon. <laughs> Talk about a track record. I think that's gonna that's gonna stick. So, yeah, I I uh, I'd be very curious to see what happens there. And then in terms of the Pac-12, it, it's the same story. I mean, there's been what twenty five slots in the playoffs since it started. The Pac-12 has occupied two of them. 
Mm-hmm. Clemson and Alabama alone have occupied about 45 percent. The, the Pac-12 uh, in most of the major sports is suffering a a low period. And Larry Scott's got some ans- got some questions to answer. I mean, he's got to start figuring out some things. Yeah, I mean, even UCLA baseball went out early this year. Yeah. They were were having a historic run. I think Michigan put them out, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. That's correct. And then there's... Then there's uh, Pac-12 basketball. I mean, what has Pac-12 yeah. basketball been? It, it, it's, it has not, not been a great run for Pac-12 basketball because marquee programs of the past, like UCLA, they've been down and, and have had some controversies and everything else going on. And uh, it, it, Stanford is not what they used to be in hoops. So it's just, it's just been a tough period. And I'm not saying it's all Larry Scott's fault. But if you're a conference commissioner, if all this happens on your watch and your biggest claim to fame is you decided to say no to ESPN and Fox and launch your own TV network that is not carried on several providers, uh, yeah, you, you better start coming up with some some <laughs> things. Gimmicky or not, you, you might want to start coming up with some different ideas and different things that might be innovative. And again, I happen to like this one. I think if it's done properly – this can only help the Pac-12 from an exposure standpoint, and that's what they need right now. I mean, the number one solution to everything is always what? Winning, okay? Mm-hmm. But if you're not going to have a ton of great teams, and if you're not going to be playing for national championships, and your your Bell Cal program is Washington, uh, then you better get some exposure for your league as a whole, and you can't just be the league that the only coast that people pay attention to is the left coast. And even then a lot of those folks out there, if you've ever been in California, it's just a different vibe. And the way they look at college football and the way they get excited about college football is entirely different than the big 10, the big 12, the sec, the ACC. It's just culture. It's just an entirely different thing. That's again, that's not Larry Scott's fault either, but you have to plan accordingly to some of these things. And you have to, you have to be a little bit more creative. I, it's a heck of a lot easier being Greg Sankey than it is Larry Scott. I'll say that much, Yeah, but by the same token, if you're Larry Scott, you you, you need to hit a couple home runs here <laughs> because you're in a little bit of a slump in terms of uh, the way some things have gone over in the Pac-12. Uh, do you agree or disagree with, with my assessment of the other leagues, JC? ACC, Clemson, the Lone Wolf, Big 12, kind of a two-team league, uh, and that's about it. I mean, I, it, it, and the Big 10, of course, again, Ohio State, Michigan, I, I know Wisconsin's uh, certainly a, a quality program and you've had Northwestern have make some, some noise here and there, but for the most part, we don't have that many teams that are relevant in the national championship or playoff conversation. Now I can, I can see Nebraska with Martinez at quarterback having a division title type winning year. Um, uh, you know, it's basically in that division, you know, it's, you've got Wisconsin, which was dominant for a while. Um, in, in that division, obviously, uh, Iowa has done some things in the Northwestern, of course, won it last year, you know, Minnesota does some good things. And then, you know, Nebraska got off the bad start, but actually finished pretty strong. So there's a lot of people pointing to that, uh, to the Huskers, maybe making a move in the second year of the Scott Frost era. I, you know, I, it, it's just kind of one of those things that, you you have some programs that have sucked the oxygen out of the room in college football these days. Clemson and Georgia, we are Clemson and Alabama. We mentioned. I think Georgia has done that to a certain extent, though. I don't know that. You know, one year going to the national championship game and two close games against Bama should have done that. But you know, Georgia has done some nice things. 
Um, and they certainly get a lot of uh, talk. Um, they're usually the third team mentioned. Uh, Ohio State is one of those programs. And um, it, it's stale right now, Mike, when we're going into the season yet again, like you said, and we're like, well, we're probably looking at Clemson-Bama round four, if mm-hmm. you want to be honest about it, for the national championship, barring an upset somewhere as things stand today. And, you know, we know injuries can happen and things like that. Um, and we're, we're, all, we're still waiting on Jim Harbaugh to beat Ohio State. You know? And, yep. and, and so that's – I think we've talked about that in the Big Ten preseason for the past three or four or five years since Harbaugh got to Michigan. Uh, maybe not in his first year, but since can, can he finally do it? Can they finally do it? And, and man, that just gets old uh, after a while. <laughs> yes. I mean, and, and it, it's tough. And, and, and I've noticed this too, you know, in college football, and, and you do college football and college basketball, and I made this point the other day. The college basketball media is the most blue blood focused national media, I think, in the country. Um, I think that they pay attention to about eight to ten programs. They pay attention to about twenty five recruits a year. Um, you know, the preseason hype is always on a couple of schools here and there. It's really hard, I think, to get exposure if you're kind of a Johnny come lately, as evidenced by the fact that Texas Tech was picked seventh out of ten in the Big Twelve last year in the mm-hmm. preseason, and we all know how that ended. But you look at the postseason in college basketball, Mike, and you look at who's winning. Villanova is the dynasty of our time in the last four years. You've had mm-hmm. an Oregon go to a Final Four. You've had Gonzaga go to a Final Four. Um, you know, last year, you know, we ended up with Texas Tech, Auburn, Virginia, and Michigan yep. State, who knocked off the team. I thought surely the super team, I thought surely was going to win it. The postseason in college basketball these days, um, when you look at who's actually going to the Final Four and who's actually winning, dare I Failed to mention Loyola, Chicago, and of course <laughs> South Carolina going. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, like in the SEC, you know, you've had South Carolina and Auburn go to a Final Four more recently than Kentucky and Florida. Wow! So, I mean, the college basketball. When you look at kind of how it ends, you would think there would be more love being spread, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Football media is different because it, it's so it's so much more regionalized. It's so much more there's so much more root. I think the college football media would like some variations with storylines, and and they would like um, you know some different. And I think that's what the original thought was when we entered the playoff era. Oh, well, they're going to play it off on the field. We don't have to have the you know the same old teams every year, you know, because they're going to decide it on the field. And it's just gone the opposite direction. Because at this point, and at that at the point we're at in college basketball, there's parity, there's transition, you know, there, there's one and dones, there's all these dynamics, there's tournament play, um, it's a sixty-eight team tournament, you know, so anything can happen. And, and in college football, we with the way we're set up for the postseason, we've just sort of we've just sort of shrank it. And on top of that, we introduced this postseason, Mike, during a time where. Right before we started this, there was one program sucking the oxygen out of the room nationally. And now there's two. <laughs> and you could make an argument for three or four, but no more than that. And no. so, so I think that's, you know, we're all hungry in football for storylines because, you know, essentially the the drama off the field in college football is a lot more entertaining sometimes than what's actually on the field. Um, and, and it's just... 
It's just barren. I mean, we're still talking about Ohio, Michigan, Harbaugh not being able to beat Ohio State. Yeah. We're singularly focused, on, and that's the second best league in the country, in my opinion. Do you know how desperate we are for stories? Here's how desperate we are for stories. The big story of SEC and ACC media days was actually linked this year. And the story was that Nick Saban, when repeatedly asked about the national championship loss to Clemson, spoke more about what his team did not do right versus what Clemson did right. And so more about what the tie did wrong, which most coaches, that's how they look at it. They live in their little world and they say, we should have done this better. We should have done that better. We had an offensive coordinator who clearly had his job on his, uh, his mind on his, his next job as a head coach. We had a defensive coordinator that clearly didn't sync up with Nick Saban for the first time in his tenure in Tuscaloosa. So that's the way he looks at it. And that's why he's the best of all time. I guess he was supposed to go out there and say, well, clearly we did everything right, but Clemson was still, 30 something points better than us. No, I mean, that's not. So this became a major story. Mm-hmm. This dominated the ACC media days. You know, Dabo does. Did Nick Saban give you enough respect? Hey, Nick, are you not giving Dabo enough respect? That is how desperate we are for stories where the average reporters at those events had to delve that deep into getting something that's just not there. That's not a story. Mm-mm. Nick Saban is, he's a lot of things. He's not real controversial. So uh, that, that just shows you we have become very stale with storylines. And look, to pick up on your basketball thought, which is a good one, I'm going to say something that is not going to be very popular because it involves something that's not very popular. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the NCAA. Okay, for a number of reasons, the NCAA continually, continuously embarrasses itself, makes uh, irrational decisions, inconsistent decisions, seems to favor some schools over other schools when it comes to sanctions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But here's where the NCAA in basketball trumps football. The NCAA actually runs college basketball. Okay, they run actually they run the other 88 sports and they run the tournament and they run the rule and every facet of it. And their goal, obviously, is to make money. They don't hide from that. I love people. Who are, oh, they're, they're hypocrites. They want to make money. Everybody wants to make money. Stop acting like it's like you discovered uh, plutonium or something like, <laughs> yes, we get it. They want to make money. You're not a genius for figuring that out. But in order to do that. They want national relevance, not just with two or three programs, but with as many as possible. And they have that in basketball. And they have a system that sets up where more than a couple of programs can be successful. And they're always looking out. I'm not going to sit here and tell you they're looking out for the student athlete, but they are looking out for the success of the sport because that's what keeps the cash register rolling. Mm-hmm. And for them, in a sport like basketball, was a little more, which is a little more niche than football, you want to be relevant across the country and you want to have more than a couple of schools that are continually dominating your sport. College football is not run by the NCAA. College football is run by the power five conferences. And let me tell you this, each one of those conferences could care less about the others, right? I mean, Larry Scott is not concerned about the success of the big 12 and, 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 John Swafford is not concerned about the success of the SEC. If anything, they want to see the other conferences fail and not be relevant, 
paving the way for more of their teams to get in the playoff, paving the way for more money to come to the conference, paving the way for more money to become to its members. That is it. So when you have a sport, and I've always said college football is obviously indestructible because it's been run poorly in so many ways. The most glaring, of course, is how we used to determine a national championship, which which was embarrassing, and it still might be flawed with only four, but I'll take it over the BCS and the Bowl Alliance and the Bowl Coalition and a bunch of random newspapers declaring a national championship when another newspaper declares a national championship. It was mythical. But it's still all about it's me. I got to get mine, and I'm not worried about yours. In fact, not only am I not worried about yours, I'm a little bit predatory. I'm territorial. I want everything to myself. I don't want you to be successful. I want us to be the king, and I want you to be not second best, not third best. I want you to be off the grid. So the only thing the Power Five conferences can agree upon is that they want to be so exclusionary that they don't want any of the Group Five schools to be involved in a playoff, whether we go to four, to eight, to 12, or anything in between. Well, as long as you have that mentality, it sets up to where if you have a few programs that have cracked the code, and Alabama has cracked it with Nick Saban, and Clemson's cracked it with Dabo, Ohio State cracked it to some extent uh, with Urban Meyer, and Oklahoma's cracked it now with a couple of coaches. As long as you have that situation, then it's going to be hard for other schools to get to that point because there's going to be nothing done from the top to change the current system. Nothing. I would agree with you there, Mike. I mean, it, 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 it's it's a haves or have nots, and you know, like I said, I don't, I don't think they care. I mean, they don't really care about um, you know um, the other leagues, uh, you know. And, and like you said, I mean, they're laughing, they're laughing at the Pac-12 right now, and um, you know, Greg Sankey, I've got some audio queued up as to you know what he has to say about that. I want no one else to succeed. <laughs> I hate most people. I'm sorry that if you didn't hear that, that was Daniel. Oh, I heard it. That was Daniel Day Lewis from There Will Be Blood. I have a competition in me. Wow. I want no one to succeed. I hate most people. I love that movie, by the way. It's slow. I know all you out there that love action movies, and you know if you're like Mike, you go and line up and get the midnight showing tickets to all the Marvel movies. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Not in this lifetime. Um, but yeah, great. Dialogue. I'll watch Roadhouse for the. Th- 47th time it just just uh just had its 30 year anniversary of releasing back in 1989 pain don't hurt no but um yeah it's it's not very action oriented but some great dialogue but yeah what do you say i have a competition in me i don't want anybody else to succeed and that i think speaks to what's wrong with college football now listen i'm not talking for those of you out there that you know, or kind of down in the dumps because maybe you're once proud or once successful program can't catch a break. And the best you can hope for is the cotton bowl because Alabama and Clemson and, you know, the other conference champions and, you know, are, are getting in the playoff, you know, Notre Dame. I think we proved last year, Notre Dame gets special treatment. Um, you could also take that down a notch and say that, you know, undefeated teams get special treatment when maybe they shouldn't. Um, in college football still. But for those of you that are upset, you know, I am not saying let's break up the cabal. Okay? I am not saying that 
we got to do something so Clemson and Bama don't play for the championship again or so Ohio State right. doesn't beat Michigan again. I am not saying that because you know what that's up to? You know what that's up to? You know, you Those know, programs. You know who's the other resp- programs. Yeah, responsibility it is to knock Clemson off their pedestal? Oh, that'd be Florida State. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe maybe, maybe you should have made a little better coaching hire. Maybe Jimbo Fisher should have recruited a little better. Maybe you should have invested in facilities like Clemson did down in town. Te- you know, you're one of the biggest brands in all of college sports, and you can't build facilities at Florida State University? You know, that's up to Georgia to finally get over the hump against Bama or for Florida to knock off Georgia in the Eastern Division or for somebody else to rise up. LSU. You know, LSU, you know. I mean, how, how, how many years in a row have they been 9-3? and three? You know, um, you know, we talked about Texas and Oklahoma. Yeah, okay, that's what has to happen in the Big 12. You want Oklahoma to quit going to the playoff every year? Texas needs to beat them. You know, or TCU or, or, or you know, Iowa State or somebody like that. You know, the Pac-12 in general needs to get better at the top. You know, you can't go and have a three-loss league champion. And maybe that's maybe that's SC coming back. Maybe that's UCLA getting going. Maybe that's Oregon, who's recruited as as well as any of them. Maybe that's Utah. You know, I I don't know. I, maybe Herm Edwards wins it at Arizona State. It, it's not up to the the system or the machine that is college football for media right on down to knock off Alabama and Clemson. It's not up. You know, we, we don't need a rules change for that. No. You know, you want to recruit better and, and get better players, you know, go out, recruit them, you know, invest in facilities. I mean, Clemson and Alabama are among the top programs in the country that have invested in their programs. You know, you, you, there was an article on 24-7 Sports today where they ranked the top 25 football facilities in all of college sports, or you know, in college football. Bama's up there in the top 10. Clemson's number one. Okay. It takes money to do that. And Clemson doesn't have SEC money rolling in. I mean, you look at Clemson's facilities compared to some SEC schools that get that check, that have been getting that check from the SEC network for a while now. It's embarrassing. Um, and, and these are not programs that struggle or that, that don't have the, fa- the, the, you know, the, what do you call it? Not the foundation, the endowment uh, of some bigger universities. These are programs with championship aspirations. These are programs that fire coaches every two or three years if they don't get it done. And, and you can compare their facilities to Clemson. There, there's no, you know, there's no comparison. And so I think that that's the key. I, I think that you know we can't change the structure or the machine to knock off Clemson and Bama. That's up to the individual programs, you know, to get off their duff and get it done. And you know, sometimes it just takes some commitment and vision, like Clemson had, uh, to get to that point. And it all starts with a coaching hire. I mean. College, the college football coaching, uh, you really are a CEO. And in the case of Alabama, in the case of Clemson, in the case of Ohio State under Urban Meyer, and we'll see how, you know, Coach Day does. But those were million and a one million, excuse me, one of the million hires. I'll get it out eventually. Um, That helps get that fundraising that helps get that money for those new facilities. You know, I don't know. I don't know if Clemson was going to be building those slides. If Tommy Bowden was still the head coach, I don't know if Alabama was going to be putting quite as much money into things. If, uh, if, if Mike DeBose or Mike Shula, 
uh, was still was still coaching in Tuscaloosa. You know, you you are if you find that one in a million coach, and we've talked about the Dabo story. That's the most unique of all, because I never considered Clemson a, volcan- a volcano program. For those that listen to this podcast, you've heard me use that term. There's some programs that I just believe inherently have so many advantages and tradition, facilities, money, fan base, and everything else that it's only a matter of time before they erupt again. Like they won't stay down forever. I didn't think Clemson was one of those. I thought Oklahoma was. I think Texas is. Southern Cal, Notre Dame. Uh, there's a few of them in the SEC. Alabama, obviously. But Clemson just they the the Dabo store. That's a thirty for thirty. They hired a guy that nobody else wanted that had limited experience that lost to his in-state rival five years in a row and somehow didn't get fired in the process. All these things. Under two different athletic directors, or is it three? I can't even keep up. But uh, yeah, two, 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 yeah. And so when, when you add all that up, Clemson is an anomaly yeah. in that respect. But but Alabama is always going to be able to get. To, they're going to be able to pony up and get the hot coaching name. And, and Southern Cal, if they fire Clay Helton, they're going to be able to court a pretty big name there, and so on and so forth. But it all starts with getting that one in a million coaching hire. And you can, if you can get that, the system is set where if you've got the right coach and he can recruit and knows X's and O's and is a great PR man, then that, that, that machine just propels itself perpetually time in time out where it's really really hard to be knocked off that perch yeah and, and i'll tell you this Clemson's the only program that has done that um and, and i'm gonna i'm gonna cut it off and say this this century i guess uh but you could really go back um you know virginia tech played for a national championship in 1999 they did not win one when Michael Vick was the quarterback there. Um, I know in 88, West Virginia played Notre Dame for a national championship. Um, West Virginia was close in 07. You've had things pop up like that, but nothing sustainable. And I I don't know that West Virginia is ever going to be in that position again, being in the Big 12 like they are. But I'll I'll, I'll say this. You know, there's not a program that's gone from hopeful division contender because Clemson did not win their division in the ACC until 2009. They, that was their first one. Tommy Bowden did not win a division title. He came close, but he didn't. And then in 2011, they won their first ACC title, ACC now. And keep in mind, you know, Florida State dominated that league for about 10 years. But then, eh, you had your Boston Colleges and your Virginia Techs winning it and things like that. So it wasn't like it was just FSU. Uh, they won their first ACC in 20 years in 2011, and they kept building and building and building. And when you talk to people about the Clemson job uh, when it came open, and, and there's a reason Tommy Bowden took it. Nobody nobody really goes back in time and thinks about this, but Tommy Bowden was <coughs> – excuse me. Mm, gosh, swallowed wrong there thinking about Tommy Bowden. Um, <laughs> it's a common the, problem. Was the hottest young coach – in college football, he went took mm-hmm. the Tulane job, which was all green wave. Um, and you know, you know kind of like Mac Brown, Mac Brown before he went to North Carolina. The first time was at Tulane, so this, this was the second coming of Mac Brown uh, in New Orleans. They went seven and four their first year, didn't go to a bowl. The next year, they went twelve and zero. They won every single game. Um, Sean King, yeah, Sean King, nineteen and four Tulane, the hottest coach in college, hottest young coach in college. He was the Urban Meyer of his day. Plus, he came with the name recognition, 
and Clemson hired him. And you know why? Because the Clemson job, coaches know, path. first of all, you got the path of least resistance. Second of all, you get 80000 in the stands every Saturday. It's like a big SEC program playing in the ACC. Steve Spurrier talked about that job, you know, about uh, how it was a really good job when he was at Duke, et cetera, et cetera. And quite frankly, I'm not so sure the head ball coach wouldn't have considered going to Clemson and this may be sacrilege for my Carolina folks out there, um, and, and I do think North Carolina was a more likely option, uh, you know, had that job been open uh, during his year off uh, with the Redskins. Um, coaches lo- th- have always thought that job was great because of the path of least resistance, et cetera, et cetera. Well, come to find out it had more issues, and you need more than just being in a league where you're supposed to be one of the better teams. Um, and, and I think that's the case anywhere. You know, I think, you know, you look at Southern Cal, you know, not, the Pac-12 as a whole was, was mediocre. And they, they took the cake. They were five and seven with a bunch of outstanding future NFL players on their roster. So it's not always just about, you know, easy schedule. You need infrastructure. You need to recruit the right guys. You need a vision. You need a plan. Tommy Bowden didn't, re- you know, he kind of psyched himself out and didn't really have that. But that Clemson job, you're right, it was, it was never a, a volcano program past like 1991, okay? It was kind of one of those programs that I call, I don't want to say they were in the abyss, because the abyss is where Tennessee's at right now. The abyss is uh, North Carolina right now. Arkansas. Arkansas is in the abyss. The abyss is, it's really hard to get out of. It's going to take a while. Clemson was always kind of hanging in that five to nine win range and going to Peach Bowls and, you know, beating South Carolina, things like that. But, you know, it, 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 I think it was a bit in, in the wilderness as far as, like, you know, in the 80s, Clemson won a national championship, you know, um, and was one of the best teams in college football for about a decade. You know, Frank Howard and uh, John Heisman all coached at Clemson. And, and, and you know, so, so that but, – but, Mike, there's not another program that's done that. Who else has done that? No. I mean, the closest maybe you could come up with would be Oregon, right? I mean, they they, uh, the they knocked on the door. Yeah. They, they knocked on the door, and that is a byproduct. I mean, people say, well, if Oregon can do it, why, why can't we? Because Oregon has Nike. And don't ever underestimate the power of Nike and Nike swag. Uh, you know, for myself, I gave up on, on the Nike hype train years ago. When I buy sneakers and I play a lot of basketball and, and Nike used to be the only thing I would even consider wearing, uh, Nike was just cool. Then you reach a certain age and you're like, well, I'm not spending the extra $40 for the <laughs> swoosh. And then if they fall apart and you try to bring them back to the Nike store, especially the one here in Atlanta, good luck. They're just going to look at you like, hey, pff, buy another pair. Um, but, but for an 18-year-old recruit or 17-year-old recruit, Nike's pretty darn cool. And then Phil Knight has the kind of money where he can provide, you know, Oregon was one of those original super plush facilities over the last Mm -hmm. 20 years. They were kind of ahead of the curve for a while. Now other programs have caught up. So Oregon's been able to kind of sprout out of nowhere. Um, But that's, again, that's unusual. Well, it it, it took years, Mike. I mean, think about this uh, with Oregon. You you hit the nail on the head. Now, they they didn't break through and win a national championship, but I I will say 
They've been ranked number one. They've played for two national titles. Mm-hmm. They've won multiple Pac-12 champions. And that program was garbage. You know, and, and unlike like a situation like, say, a Kansas State, which darn near got there a couple of times, you know, but they never quite could finish the deal, you know, whether it's a Texas A&M upset in the, out, in the um, championship game or whatever. I mean, okay, so Rich Brooks, my, my man was at Oregon from 1977 to 1994. They gave this guy like – 17, 18 years, okay? His last year at Oregon, they went 9-4 and four and went to the Rose Bowl and won the Pac-12. Pac-10 mm-hmm. is the Pac-10 back then. Okay, so it took my, it took Rich Brooks going below 500 uh, in 17 years, at, and he was in a bowl game, uh, you know, four, three out of it, four out of his last six, okay? And, and so then, so he leaves. So, so his, his work there is done. Um, they hire, and then they, you know, you talk about making the big hire. They well, go. Don't, don't overlook Mike Bellotti. That's if, what, that's if we what I'm had saying. A, yeah, if we had a playoff, Mike, one of those Mike Bellotti teams would have been in the playoff. You know, if we had a fourteen playoff over the course of college football, first of all, Steve Spurrier would be sitting on about four or five national, national championships yeah. instead of one. Bobby Bowden would probably have another couple. Oregon would have been in the playoff under Mike Bellotti. Kansas State would have had a team in the playoff yes. under Coach Snyder. I mean, there's a lot of things that history would have looked a lot better upon a lot of other programs had we not waited insanely long to do something more than a ridiculous system that arbitrarily picks two teams out of a hat and considers that because they declare them the best two teams uh, and everybody else just is on the outside looking in no. uh, that, 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 that changed the course of history for a lot of programs. It really yeah. did. Yeah, no doubt. Bilotti and Bilotti was at Oregon for 14 years. Yeah. 14 years. He became the athletic director. Um, and, you know, got them, you mentioned, like, the 2000-2001 Oregon teams were you know, combined 21-3. and three. That's kind of their pinnacle. Those would have been playoff teams. Um, never got them back to the Rose Bowl, per se, but they were pretty doggone good. They finished number two in the country in 2001. And I don't know, had they played, you know, that, that, that national championship game that year, Mike, was Miami and a Nebraska team that I felt was a lot, sort of mediocre. That's, that's the year. Yep. You know, Florida had that great team and got knocked. It was 9-11, so that they had to schedule, reschedule the Tennessee game. Tennessee went in there and cut them when Travis Stevens, I think, ran for like 200 yards in a rescheduled game. Then Tennessee got upset by Nick Saban and LSU um, in the SEC title game. You know, so there was no SEC team to play Miami, uh, and they ended up sending Nebraska out there, and I didn't think Nebraska was all that good. They weren't. And in fact, Nebraska, I think, lost to Colorado 62-36. to hmm. But – but that 2001 Oregon team was 11 and one, and I believe beat Colorado in the Fiesta Bowl. They would, they, they could have, you know, had we had the different system. Yeah, um, they did that. But Mike Bellotti was at Oregon for for 14 years, and then he went 116. So he built on what Rich Brooks took 17 years to build, and then he just so happened to hire an offensive coordinator named Chip Kelly, who took over and and got them to a national championship game and didn't win it and. Then they got back, and they became one of the best programs in college football. Do you remember when, I guess, Bilotti was the coach? This is when, for a lot of people, this is when Oregon truly became relevant. Is when, and I remember, like, when I was doing sports radio, sports talk, 
and I'd get these things in the mail every year for like a school SID. Like I remember getting these postcards almost every week. Troy Davis, mm-hmm. Iowa State running back. Troy ran for 213 yards. Here's your Heisman Trophy winner. Trying to influence voters and media people. Oregon took it to a new level because, again, they had Nike money. Joey Harrington mm-hmm. had this huge mur- mural on the uh, in Times Square. <laughs> Joey Harrington of Oregon was in the Big Apple with this humongous. I mean, you couldn't ignore it if you were in Times Square. You could not ignore it. I don't know what the price tag on that was, but it was heavy. And that's when you just saw, okay, here's how an irrelevant program tries to become relevant. I think we've now gotten to the point where there's so many schools swimming in the same pool mm-hmm. and it's going to be really hard to get out of that pool. Uh, there's so, and I, I could name for you off the top of my head, I could name 50 of them yeah. that are not awful by any stretch. I mean, they're going to bowl games. They're picking up big wins every now and then they're, they're, they're selling tickets and making money, but they're not, they're, they're never going to be in the national championship hunt. And so they're all just banging their heads against the walls of this, this pool and wondering when do they get to go to the, you know, the special pool, the, the marquee pool. It's just, just, you can see the marquee pool and there's only like five people swimming in it. It's a really big pool and it's, you know, it's salt water, it's climate controlled and there's all kinds of beverages being served by mm-hmm. voluptuous uh, and stunning uh, co-eds or whatever the case may be. That's, that's my vision. And, uh, and all these other, all these other programs are swimming in the, in the community pool, you know, where some kid has gone number one in it and they're still trying to coordinate it out. And, and there's leaves all over the place and the water's too cold. And, uh, you just don't feel great about being in that pool and you want to get in the other pool, but you just can't get there. You just don't know how to get there. Like you're doing like these programs that are continually winning seven, eight games, nine games, maybe. It's not that they're necessarily doing something wrong. I think the, the inclination of the fan base is, in many cases, is to say, uh, we, we, we need to fire this guy, fire that guy. We're clearly not doing the, the right thing. And a lot of cases, no, you're, they're doing the right thing. You're just not good enough to get in the other pool. Yeah. And, and you, you can't convince a fan base that that's the case. Well, and every now and then, you know, what you have to do is when you, when you get to your entry point, you have to kick in the door. Like when you get up in the line for the nice pool, right, it's like a club in Las Vegas. When you finally wait in line, say you're not in the special line, like I'm in the special line at certain clubs in Las Vegas, believe it or not. Um, and I'm not even a club guy. I just kind of know some people. But uh, when you're not in the special <laughs> line, you have to wait in line, right? And you're like, okay. And you finally get up there. You have to make sure you get in. Okay. How how much would Virginia Tech be different right now had, say, they beaten Florida State in 1999 and had a national title? Yeah. And then a bunch of ACCs to recruit and build on top of that. But now they didn't. Mm. And, and I'm not saying that they didn't get into, like, at least the holding area for the nice pool. But they, they, you know, they didn't do it. What if Kansas State hadn't lost to Texas A&M that year when they had Michael Bishop and that great team and they'd have gone on to win the national title? You know, uh, I think Oregon got in because of the uniqueness of Oregon and the Nike and all that good stuff. And the fact they've played for it twice, that's a little different than being a one and done. Um, and they've had a Heisman winner and stuff like that. But it took Oregon I, – I, I just went through it, Mike – Rich Rich Brooks and Mike Bellotti, 31 years 
It yeah. was 31 years until, you know, Bilotti hung it up and gave it to Chip Kelly, and he kind of took it to that next level. 31 years, that's three. Nobody's got, nobody would give Rich Brooks 17 years to build a program right now. Okay. And um, so, so I, I think that when you get to, and what Clemson did, which is different than, any other program, you know, and again, we've established they're not a volcano program, or they weren't. Now, after this, let's say they dip post-Dabo or whatever, um, they will be considered a volcano program because people mm-hmm. will be wanting to wake up the echoes. You know, they're going to be good for a while. But they weren't. And so that's the only example we have of, of a program that's not only gone and, and gotten to gotten into the into the pool so to speak, and gained entry to the pool. Because I think when they went and played Alabama in 2015 in the in Arizona, and they lost, but it was a close one, um, yeah, I think at that point you could kind of start, start to see it happening, you know, with them because they had a lot of good players coming back the next year, et cetera. Um, but not only are they – I mean, they're, they're at, the, at the head table. They've got like the nicest – you call them lily pads out in Vegas. If you go to Encore Beach Club, you get this thing called a lily pad. You get free mimosas uh, with the wow. lily pad. I need to go to Vegas with you. I've been doing it all wrong. The lily pad rentals are grand, but all your drinks come off of it. So you get pictures of mimosas. It's great. Mimosas and uh, me, me, mojitos, I guess. Mojitos is what you call it. Uh-huh. Um, so, so, so they're sitting there at the head table with Bama. And there's not been another program, Mike, we can point to that's done that. Because think about all the other champions. I mean, maybe you could say Auburn, but but Auburn's been around. They've had good years. They've been good, you know, when they broke through in 2010. But, you know, quite frankly, after that national championship and then the 2013 season, Auburn's been kind of, um, I don't want to say dysfunctional, but dramatic, I guess, is how you could point to them. And I think that they're kind of at the pool, but but there's no other program that's gone from where Clemson was, which was, you know, a seven or eight, seven to nine win good team in the ACC that everybody thought underachieved to national champions. I mean, it's just it's unprecedented. And I, and I think that, you know, now we may see people try to kind of follow that blueprint. You know, I, I think that's a big reason Ed Orgeron has the LSU job, Mike, is, is and, and some of these hires that we go, wow. Why'd they hire that guy? It's because maybe athletic, you know, ADs aren't, aren't creative. You know, they're not, a lot of them aren't original thinkers. They're, most of them are politicians, quite frankly. Most um, of them are glorified fundraisers yeah, and, that have and, never coached, that have never done anything successful on the field or on the court. Yeah, and so they look around and go, well, what, how did Clemson do this? Well, they hired, they hired the guy that nobody would have expected and put, him, put good people around him and supported him. You know, so let's do that, you know, and, and I, I think that's, <laughs> I think, all right, I'll just, I'll end, I'll end what I was trying to say with this. I think if you do that, I'm not saying it'll never work, but I'm saying, I think that's pretty good for Dabo Sweeney himself and for Nick Saban. Um, as long as ADs are just kind of going out there and going, oh, we're going to do what Clemson did. Because like you said, that's a special circumstance. It's happened twice at that program. Danny Ford was an assistant that had never been a coordinator that they promoted, and he won a national title in his second year or third year. Um, I, I think that's just a Clemson-specific thing, and you got to credit Debo Sweeney with having the, the eight-year vision to build it back. But and, and even then it took eight years. So And, and it's and – it's, and it's the ACC. And I don't say that just to, you know, bang on the league. 
the ACC's got a lot of things going for it. They've got the the reigning S, uh, uh, football and basketball championships. They won a baseball one before that a few years ago. Uh, they've got the new ACC network going on that can only help matters. Uh, I think that they're they've been fairly smart about expansion overall. Uh, so I, I mean, there's a lot of things the direction of that league that I like, but let's be honest about it. Um, it's a lot easier to be, if you're not a volcano program, it's, it's a lot easier to be a program that all of a sudden breaks through and goes to that VIP pool. If you're not in the sec, because if you're one of those nine or so nine or 10 non volcanic programs in the Southeastern conference, good luck turning this trick. It's a hell of a lot easier in the ACC or the Pac-12 or even the Big 12. It just is. And so that, that, that's part of the formula. And the, being in the SEC has a lot of advantages. There is no question about it. And you can constantly pound your chest and say, my school pay, plays in the best conference in college football. And in some cases, college basketball and very often college baseball and very often women's basketball and softball and tennis and swimming. But you got to face facts. If you're not one of those top tier SEC programs, you're going to have a long history of not playing for big chips. That's just the way it's set up. That's just, so you take the good with the bad and you try to make the best of the situation, but it's no mystery why the same teams keep winning the SEC championship over a large span of time. Um, before we get to the next subject, I do want to mention our proud sponsor, BPSkinnerClothiers.com. I recently saw a number of uh, TV types, sportscasting types, uh, together with Brent Skinner working on their wardrobes for TV. I'm a, one of those such types. He also outfits many coaches and players across the country. But believe you me, you don't have to be any of the kind uh, to take advantage of what he can do for you to look your very best, to feel your very best. And the best thing is you don't have to go to him. He'll come to you. Just go ahead and call them up, set up an appointment, go to the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com, set up an appointment with Brent. He'll come to your house or office. He'll have all the different fabrics available. He'll size you up, custom-made suits, shirts. He's got shoes. He's got accessories. He has it all. Your one-stop shop, and you don't have to go through the pain and hassle of going to a mall or a retail outlet and being bothered by a pushy salesman for second-rate stuff at higher prices. Give him a shout today, bpskinnerclothiers.com. One of the best things I've done, smartest things I've done. I haven't done many smart things in the last 10 years, but hooking up with Brent Skinner is definitely one of them. Uh, I did want to mention this, JC. I know we're, we're running long on time, as we often do. Um UConn, I, I, nobody cares about UConn football, right? Including UConn, apparently. Yeah. Because because they're paying seventeen million dollars to get out of the American and, and basically operate as an independent. I mean, you almost wonder at this point why not just go to FCS where you were consistently relevant. It's hard to believe that long ago they were at a BCS bowl game. UConn was, and then the football program has, has spiraled to the point of being so bad that it, it's kind of painful. And this is kind of a smack in the face to that program because they're telling you basketball is much more relevant than football in that program. And they're telling you that they don't have a home. They just have nowhere to go. They're an orphan right now, but it, it got people talking about 
it's almost a form of relegation. And I've heard soccer fans, and I'm not a soccer fan, but I do understand from my uh, British Premier League friends. Oh, yes. Is it English Premier League or British Premier League? I think it's it's English. Called? I think they say English. All right, English, English. Premier League. Uh, I don't want to upset soccer fans on this podcast because they're they're very uh, very sensitive group. So if you if you follow soccer at that level, then you know that there's this thing called relegation, where if a particular soccer team does not do well, they can be downgraded to a lower league. And I've had the misfortune of hearing people say that's the that's the solution in college football. I think that's going to happen. First of all, that's silliness. It's not going to happen. Like Vanderbilt, if they go back to the years of going five and seven every year or even three and nine, uh, Vanderbilt is not going to be relegated to the Sun Belt. It's just never going to happen. There's so many things that keep these particular programs in their conferences tied up with long-term TV deals and everything else. So relegation, well, yes, if you're if you're playing a video game and you're the commissioner, you can say, I got an idea. We're going to have relegation in my college football league on my John Madden Sony PlayStation uh, Xbox league it's relegation okay that's great for you Super. in the real world <laughs> relegation doesn't truly exist in that kind of form what does exist what's interesting is what has the talk been in college football over the last few years that we have one more round of expansion of migration where programs are going to go from one Power 5 league to another. The biggest rumor for many years has been the Big 12, since it already almost dissolved completely, is going to be eliminated the moment that either Texas or Oklahoma or both decide we're jumping ship. If that happens, it's a death nail for that league, and everybody in that league knows it. So that's been the theory, that we're going to have four superpower conferences of 16 as opposed to the Power 5. Well, now there's, there's a new theory... And Pete Thamel, who I don't always agree with, uh, he's of Yahoo Sports. He says that talking to some people that he's spoken with, and they're all anonymous, so we can't really attribute this to anybody, that it's more likely that we could have a form of relegation or really contraction. This is not necessarily true relegation in its truest form where you're saying, okay, if you don't win four games or more this year, we're going to demote you. This is just we're going to we're going to remove programs that have historically not been good enough and don't bring much to our conference in the way of money, ratings, exposure, appeal, anything. So we're going to kick them out. Hmm. And so that got some writers, including a gentleman who I'm not that familiar with, um, Connor O'Gara of Saturday Down South, saying if this happens, he ranked the top 10 Power 5 candidates that could be contracted or relegated, depending on the term you want to use. And I'll just go through this briefly, and then, JC, you can give me your thoughts. Number one, Rutgers. And, and you, I mean, I don't even have to explain this. He gives a couple of paragraphs on each uh, school, but he says, basically, traditional members of the conference got nearly $54 million in revenue shares last year. Rutgers isn't making that much yet, but uh, how much longer can they survive in the power five they've offered absolutely nothing in any sport they've been bad in football they've been bad in basketball they've just been flat out bad so rutgers tops the list number two maryland uh 
and they just made this the sweetheart deal to get in the Big Ten. Can't see that happening, but for a number of reasons, basketball's down, football's been a mess for the controversy. Mike Loxley will probably be fired in four years. You heard it here first. Um, and, and so what does Maryland offer to the Big Ten? Number three, Kansas. Hey, by the way, they're serving booze at Kansas football games this year. So, folks, if you didn't have enough incentive to see bad Kansas Jayhawk football, now you can get crocked and see the Jayhawks lose by 30. Uh, number four, Boston College. Come on. Boston College is not going anywhere. Right? Boston College is a good school and a good city, and they do have tradition there in in both major sports, but he's got Boston College four, Louisville five. Again, Louisville's obviously gone through a rough patch here, but it wasn't that long ago. Rick Pitino was coaching them to a national championship. Lamar Jackson was winning the Heisman. Louisville's not going anywhere. Six, Illinois. I've done a game at Illinois. That's a program that does have tradition. Uh, does have, I mean, they got statues of some pretty famous all-time great football players outside and but for whatever reason they've been atrocious and lovey smith who's somehow making five million dollars a year i don't know if he's wearing a ski mask when he picks up that check <laughs> but he's making five million dollars a year he's got a great beard too yes and he's nine and 27 since taking over the program they talk about i mean who was pay whose idea was that i gotta look up who the ad of illinois is five million dollars a year for lovey smith uh seven oregon state talks about the fact that in the playoff era zero bowl games six and 39 versus the pack 12 three seasons with double digit losses eight colorado who will always feel like a big 12 team to me uh but he's talking about colorado getting bounced out of the pack 12 arkansas come on the sec is never getting rid of arkansas he's got arkansas at nine and baylor uh who obviously went through a ton of trouble but before that was relevant, extremely relevant, in both football and basketball. So that's his list. And I disagree with much of it, but it's an idiotic, really. I think the most of this yeah. list is <laughs> I mean, <laughs> nothing I'm against him. Not to focus on the list as much as the idea, JC, of sure. like, do, do we really think that instead of the major conferences expanding, that we could ever see a day where they contract, where they just look at the bottom feeders and say, you know what, you're not pulling your weight here. You're still getting millions of dollars just because you're in our league. I'm sorry. We hate to see you go, but we got to kick you out. I don't see it, but this is what Pete Thamel is reporting, that it's more likely to happen. Well, I think, you know, and I mentioned earlier that, you know, you want to break up the Alabama Clemson cabal. It's up to the programs to do it. Well, I mean, if we go through 10 years of that, where we're at a four-team playoff and, you know, there aren't that many teams that ever go. Um, you know, I think, I, I, and I think in football it's unique, Mike, because at the high school level, if in most states, you, you don't have like, you know, you have some, some divisions. And, and it's because, you know, football is dependent on a lot of other things besides just let's go get some guys together and play. Um, resources matter in this sport. Uh, 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 more so than hoops or, you know, baseball or whatever. I mean, you have to have the resources to compete. Your geography matters in the sport a lot. So it's unique. And, and so sometimes, you know, at the high school level, you'll divide it up and you'll award seven state champions and call it a day. Everybody's happy because you're competing with programs at your level. Um, so something like that could happen one day. But – as far as retraction goes, I mean, look, you, you got to look at, you know, the, the, these conferences 
And I think he's throwing some politics in here, too, on some of this stuff. Like, you know, you're not kicking Maryland out because of what happened with the player. You're not kicking Baylor out no matter how heinous it was what happened there. Um, You know, if it had gotten a little worse, maybe you would. But, you know, you're not doing that. Um, You know, the University of Illinois is a – I think they're a charter member of the Big Ten – uh, they've been to a Rose Bowl. They, I think they've won a national championship in basketball or at least played for it. Um, there's no way. I mean, and this guy's not looking past the last three years. So, so most of these ideas are moronic. Kansas basketball, which keep in mind, men's basketball is also a revenue sport. It doesn't drive the bus like football does, but men's basketball. Kansas is one of the most storied programs in the country. The Big 12 is not kicking them out. No. Good God. It'd be like the ACC no. kicking Duke out because their football program was. But that's not going to happen either. Um, you have to sort of identify bad programs across the board that are out of their league. I love Rutgers, and I think Rutgers is untapped potential. I think they continue to make atrocious coaching hires in football and men's basketball. It's the State University of New Jersey. There's plenty of athletes in New Jersey. Uh, the Big Ten is a bridge too far for them right now. Um, you do have to sort of wonder, you know, how much longer they're going to be in the abyss. I will say this, though. The Big Ten, they didn't add Rutgers because Rutgers is good. They added them because it's the New York TV market. You know, you talk, you, you run around New York City, you ask most people, you know, if it's not Syracuse for basketball purposes, if they're college football fans, like, yeah, you know, I like Rutgers a lot. You know, Rutgers is good. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's New York's kind of college football team. Um, so that would be the only one I could really make a a, um, a, a play for here. I, you know, will it happen? I don't know. You know, I don't know. We'll, we'll, at some point, the the big six or seven in the SEC say, we're gonna, just going to go do our own thing, and we're going to have a, a – a, 32-team elite division of college football with our own playoff, and we're just going to play each other and do all that. You know, Will that ever happen? I don't know. You know, I don't think so. I, I think, you know, again, if the NCAA ever tried to control the sport, then, then maybe that would happen. Uh, but the, co- the Power Five conferences control everything. Mm-hmm. And this just did. It's working pretty good for them. So it, and you don't. Uh, like what harm does Vanderbilt do to the SEC? They're in a cool city. <laughs> they uh, fans love going there. Mm-hmm. If you come out of there with a win, you feel good about stuff. Mm-hmm. They just won a national championship in baseball. They're second. They've been relevant in basketball more often than not, and they've had some glimpses of success, particularly under Coach James Franklin. You know, Rutgers. Even going back to Rutgers, I mean, they 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 had the run under Shiano, chopping wood. Uh, it didn't last long. But as bad as they are, I mean, they're not hurting anybody. Like, yeah, there ha- there somebody has to finish last in all these leagues. We're not hurting anybody. You know, like I feel like that should almost be the motto of some of these schools. Like, yeah, I know we're bad, but we're not hurting anybody. If anything, you guys feel better when you play us. When you see us on the schedule, you're going to come away with a better feeling overall. So, so leave us alone. Yeah, see, and look, I always thought, too, Mike, you know, in the SEC, I thought that was kind of a smart the, – the smart thing about adding Missouri because, I mean, even though the Tigers came in and they've been very competitive in football, I mean, historically, you know, they're not – it's not like adding Texas in addition to Texas A&M where you, you have the, the school in Texas that has historically done well. 
Um, and I always thought, too, people talk about, you know, the SEC should add Florida State or Clemson. No, that, that will never happen. If, if they added two more teams, I would guess it would be like NC State and Kansas. Or um, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. Or well, Yeah, and that could happen, too, you know. But, you know, you, you think about you got Missouri there already, and, and Kansas, that would be a um, – That'd be a W on the football field, (laughs) (laughs) which most people like. And then, you know, it would really booster the basketball or something like that. You know, Oklahoma, something like that. But it's uh, when people look at this expansion thing, I think they look at it all wrong with the eye eye toward like who's good now, what's going on now. They ignore TV markets. They ignore geography. um, And and, and so that's just not going to happen. But, I mean, you know, you mentioned the, the, the relegation thing. I mean, I don't know. You know, that would cause a lot of butt hurt. Uh, you know, if you if you started kicking teams out of conference, logistically, you could never make it work. Yeah, obviously, you'd be butt hurt. Would be a gosh, that would be uh, almost an understatement. Yeah, right. But I mean, logistically, good luck drawing up the contracts with TV deals and bowl tie-ins and everything else with programs going from like one league to one double a and the FCS. And come on. I mean, it's just, it, it's silly talk. I know it's a slow time of year. Um, I know there's some soccer fans that love the whole concept of relegation, but if we want to get out of la la land, uh, it's not happening by the way, Illinois. And I, I've, it's been 10 years since I've done a game there. I did uh, Illinois versus I think Northwestern years ago. Rivalry. And I, yes. The, the, for the land of Lincoln trophy, JC, <laughs> the land. Uh, I, I'm not making that up. They've got trophies, uh, trophies. They've got uh, statues outside of Ray Nitschke played for Illinois, George Hallis, uh, Dick Butkus and the galloping ghost red Grange. So there's some serious history at that program. They can do better. They're not that far from Chicago. Illinois can be relevant again. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, they uh, they just haven't always had sustained success, I guess. I mean, looking at their uh, record against Northwestern, it, it's a very close series. You wouldn't think that. But, I mean, the Zucker took Illinois to the Rose Bowl. Yes, and I then mean, came crashing down to mediocre co- yeah. mediocre coaching life. Yeah, it was it was it was uh, short lived. But um, I mean, I don't know. You know, I, I I I think you know there is talent in that state. You can recruit because of their location. You can recruit both St. Louis and Chicago. And there's enough talent in those two places to really put it together. You just got to keep it there. Quite frankly, a a a coach with pro ties like they've had a Ron Turner in there. Um, kind of a tie, had ties. They need to quit hiring guys with ties to the Bears. Okay, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that's not helping you get the Chicago talent no. because you got to go beat Notre Dame and Michigan and sometimes it was Northwestern and Wisconsin and everybody else for that talent in Chicago. Lovey Smith's not helping you get those guys. Um, they need a dynamic. I mean, I heard a couple of years ago before they hired Lovey that they were going to hire Lane Kiffin, and I thought Lane Kiffin would be the perfect coach for them because. You know, he may go in there and be a knucklehead, embarrass you and screw up, but he's going to probably win a game or two he shouldn't. He's going to hire a good staff, and he's going to recruit, and he's going to leave a roster there that's going to be pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, I, and look, and I, I, I'm saying this, in the right situation, I think Lovey Smith could be a successful college coach. Um, he's a better coach than 9-27. and 27. He proved that with all his years in the NFL. Plus, he's from a place called Big Sandy, Texas, and he's got an awesome beard. 
He does have a good beard. And his name's Lovey. So, so I, look, I, 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 it's just the wrong fit for Illinois. It, it's the wrong fit. I, I'm, I just, when I look at, when you look at guys that, that weren't exactly great pro coaches yeah. that, that work in college, there's a certain personality trait that they have. Like Pete Carroll had it. Um, Herm Edwards might have it. I, that remains to be seen. I'll be very curious to see what's going to be, what are we going to be talking about with Arizona state football in year three of Herman Edwards? Cause at the end of the day, through all the hype and the hoopla and, and the upset went early, like what was Arizona state that last year? They, they weren't that good. <laughs> I mean, so I want to see what they do in year two and year three, when the hype train subsides a little bit, is it truly going to have staying power, but you have to have a certain personality. If you're not a great NFL coach and none of those guys were that all of a sudden it is going to work in college for for a lot of NFL coaches in general, colleges they don't want to deal with recruiting, fundraising, public speaking. They don't have to do that nonsense in the NFL, and so they they really they're overwhelmed by it in college. And when I think of Lovey Smith, I think a guy who's just overwhelmed by all that. Uh, Lovey Smith, X's nose wise, might be fine. I don't think he wants to deal with all that other stuff. And then you put him in a difficult place like Champaign Urbana. Uh, that's just. That's just tough all around. Uh, I was going to get this t- to this today, but we're, we're kind of over time. We'll save it for next week. The, one of the other kind of overlying themes of all these media days was how concerned, if not downright paranoid, are uh, ADs, coaches, et cetera, et cetera, about the dwindling attendance at college football. And, you know, what causes that? And what are the what are the mitigating factors and how do you, how do you fix it? How do you solve it? Everybody seems to have a strong opinion on that. I've heard a lot of opinions that I think quite frankly are 180 degrees wrong, but we'll, we'll address that next week and uh, get you some other stuff on the, on the hot plate to talk about as we inch closer and closer to the college football season. I'm glad that, you know, this is one of the, this is the earliest we'll start. I'm not even talking Miami, Florida, the earliest we'll start in the next five years. Somebody told me one of these calendar experts, we got two buys this year. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very rare in college football. Usually you only have the one. So the advantage of that is the way the calendar worked out, we get to start even earlier than normal. So that's a, that's a cool thing. Also a cool thing is the, anybody who subscribes for free, I might add, and listens to the JC and Morgan podcast and JC, they can still do it. Absolutely. It's on uh, iTunes, Apple podcast, uh, Google play. For those of you that you like Mike, who uses an Android, yeah. um, you know, you can, uh, you can jump on there. Also podcast apps like podcast mania, the stitcher app, just about any place you can find podcasts. You can find the JC and Morgan pod. Always enjoyed it. Always our thanks to the many that tune in and to our sponsors, including Brent Skinner of BPSkinnerClothiers.com. We will see you next week. Always a good time. Thank you for tuning in. For J.C. Sherbert, Mike Morgan saying so long for now on another J.C. and Morgan podcast. Are you hungry for the usual today? Or are you ready to spice things up with the new Nashville Hot Brisket from Firehouse Subs? We're kicking up our slow-smoked beef brisket with Nashville Hot Seasoning. It's topped with melted pepper jack and our sweet and tangy slaw. Served piping hot on a toasted cornbread roll. Yeah, a cornbread roll. Save time. Order your new Nashville Hot Brisket on the Firehouse Subs app today. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only.